the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Eight of the top ten Irish companies choose to do business with us. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times business podcast. This is Wednesday, April 6th. I'm Kieran Hancock and this week's show is all about Irish whiskey. Irish whiskey has been one of the true success stories of our economy in recent years, with an upsurge in exports and a long list of new distilleries either opened or planned. And yet it still lags well behind Scottish whiskey in terms of its share of the global spirits market. To help me figure all of this out, in studio are Daryl McNally, General Manager in Ireland for Quintessential Brands Group, which has just taken over the Dublin Whiskey Company in the Liberties, Denise Murphy, Drinks Sector Chief of Board Bia, and entrepreneur John Teeling, a veteran of the industry who joins me by phone from his base in Clontarf. And don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, which is also available from our website, irishtimes.com. But John, I might start with you first of all, and congratulations, by the way, on your recent induction into the Hall of Fame at the recent World Whiskey Awards in London. Oh, I think if you live long enough, you tend to do things and you tend to win things. It's a function of age. Right. And all the more remarkable, perhaps, because you don't even drink whiskey, do you? Even though you've had a couple of businesses in this space... Never tasted it. No. Never tasted it. Okay, very good. Um, now, John, just to set the scene, if you like, um, you were uh, a founder of Cooley Distillery back in the day. Um, it's a company that you, you sold on in 2011 to Jim Beam in, in the US for, I think it was around $95 million. Um, that's since been sold on to Japanese owners. But um, you've come back into the whiskey game, um, taking over the old Diageo uh, brewery in Dundalk. And you've set up the Great Northern Distillery, if I'm correct, and you're planning a 10 million investment uh, for that. And your sons, uh, Stephen and Jack, which many people might know, are also opening a, a whiskey distillery in the Liberties um, under the brand Teeling Whiskey. So you're a man who knows quite a bit about this industry. Uh, and it's phenomenal what's happened over the past number of years, isn't it? I mean, I, I read recently that there's something like 26 distilleries being planned uh, for opening in Ireland over the next few years. Why is Irish whiskey so hot at the minute? The answer is it's a phenomenal situation. And if you believe uh, the figures that just came out yesterday for the uh, March sales in the United States, uh, this huge growth is continuing. Year on year in the United States, Irish whiskey grew at over 20%, which is phenomenal given that it has been growing at double-digit rates since 1999. Uh, Three things happened, and we're only taking advantage of one and a bit of them at the moment. The first thing is that young people decided they were going back to brown spirits, initially to bourbon and then very quickly to uh, Jemison and then on to more Irish products as they became available because Irish is smoother and sweeter, uh, more mellow, always has been for hundreds of years. Um, That is continuing and spreading across the world. The demographic for Irish whiskey is 25 to 39, a fantastic demographic, 45% female, which is even more surprising to many older people. Uh, which offers great, absolutely great potential for the future. The first thing is that young people are drinking Irish whiskey. The second thing is that the Berlin Wall fell and all of Eastern Europe became open to uh, imported spirits and they moved away from their vodka. And that has been volatile up and down. It's down at the moment, but offers great future. The third one, and, and certainly for those people looking at building distilleries for the longer term future, is the potential in the Far East. I would suspect most of your, your, your listeners or readers would not know that the biggest whiskey in the market, whiskey market in the world by a factor is India, 300 million cases. And when you put that in perspective, that Irish whiskey sales this year may be 9 million. Um, so if we were successful in India, we couldn't possibly supply it. 
So uh, you take 120 million in Thailand, um, you know, 100 million maybe in, in the Philippines, just huge markets that are totally untouched yet by Irish. So I think the potential is there and we're starting to realise it, but we have a long way to go. But is there room in the market for these 26 newer proposed distilleries? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I have no doubt at all about that. I mean, most of them are, are small. They're, they're pot still operations and the, they will buy, which is, the, that was the, the reason for setting up the Great Northern. Um, because well, we tell, have, tell us about your uh, distillery. Uh, the Great Northern is, is, is a fairly big distillery. It has capacity for 4 million cases. And so it would be the biggest complex um, outside of Irish distillers. And its objective there is to provide bulk whiskey for other people to develop their brands, in particular to supply bulk grain whiskey to people who have pot stills because it's highly unlikely that everybody will be able to sell 100% of their output as single malt or as pot stills. So this, is, this will make the blend. And um, it happened as uh, sometimes serendipity, good things happen. When we took over, uh, that, it's the Harp Breweries. Many of your people would see it as they went up on the railway uh, and the train. The, uh, there were these magnificent copper kettles that had been used in the 50s. And we, we managed to transform those copper kettles into copper pot stills. So we have a very big um, pot still malt distillery up there capable of doing a million and a quarter cases. And we have uh, columns capable of doing 3.75 million cases. Up and running and working very well. Uh, Productivity is good. So it's been running since last September. It's good. We're we're, we're at about uh, about 30% capacity, which is, you know, we're, we're doing about a million and a half cases a year, which is a lot in the Irish whiskey industry, but all for other people at the moment. No brands or sales yet. Right, okay. Denise Murphy, tell us about this export opportunity. The Irish Whiskey Association put out a strategy document last year where they said there was the potential to double exports uh, again to 24 million nine litre cases by 2030. Sounds like an awful lot. It does sound like an awful lot, and I think it's actually quite a conservative estimate, you know, based on the research that we've done. The opportunity that's there is absolutely enormous. I I think it's being underplayed, if anything. Uh, the India piece that John talked about has its challenges in that um, getting into the Indian market would be very, very difficult. It would require some legislative change in India because of the import tariffs. But uh, having said that, even setting India aside, the opportunities in the rest of Asia are phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. It is mostly an export industry, isn't it? I mean, we, it there's is. only so much uh, whiskey that Irish people can drink. Well, there is. That's true. That's true. It is important to have a strong uh, foothold in your home ground, you know, if you're going to be vaulting into, mm. into other markets. But uh, it wouldn't be the first priority for new distillers. Okay, now John talked about Asia being the potential new big markets for Irish whiskey, but tell us about the ones in the here and now. America, I presume, is top of the list. In the here and now, yes, North America represents the the best opportunity for us, not only because Irish whiskey is growing, but because um, for the last four years consecutively, Scotch has fallen by approximately a million cases a year. Um, Clearly, the Irish whiskey industry is taking market share there. And uh, the opportunity continues to grow. Um, Canada is another very, very strong market for us. Uh, Germany, it's not all outside of the EU. Germany has, has, uh, con- has, is showing great potential at the moment and also has huge growth opportunity. And Russia, 
is another uh, whiskey is one of the few items that wasn't uh, included in the in the oh. import moratorium for Russia. So um, the distillers have been enjoying growth in that market as well. Okay, Darren McNally, uh, you worked for many years for Bushmills, and so you worked for the multinationals for Irish distillers, and then for Diageo. It's since been uh, sold on by Diageo, but now you've jumped to the other side of the fence, if you like. Yeah, you're working for a quintessential uh, brands, a, a UK company that's just taken over uh, the Dublin Whiskey Company in the Liberties and is, is planning a distillery there. But tell us a little bit first about uh, making, because you're a distiller, aren't you, by, uh, correct, by yeah, trade? So by tell trade. us a little bit about uh, the history of Irish whiskey, um, how it's made, and wh- what's the difference between single malt and blended whiskey and, yeah, and other types? Yeah. There's three main types. There's a single malt, which uh, comes from one distillery using pot stills and 100% malted barley. Uh, you have the pot still, which is uh, made up of 50% malted and 50% un- unmalted or thereabouts. And you also then have the continuous distillation from a grain perspective. So the history of uh, whiskey came about from you know, various things that happened during the years would have put people into pot distillation or into grain distillation. Uh, a local Irish excise man developed the coffee still, which became the continuous distillation, which allowed... Scotland and Ireland to to to, to get blended whiskies. Uh, Bush Mills probably stayed true to the 100% malted barley, but a nice mix of all the different types and variants uh, goes together to make uh, lots of really good brands. Yeah. Now, tell us how Dublin Whiskey Company plans to set itself out from the competition, because if there are 22, 26 new distilleries being planned, in addition to the ones that are already there, and we have some big beasts in the market like Jemison, for example, how will uh, a small company like Dublin Whiskey Company actually set itself out from the competition? Yeah, well, quintessential brands um, have been... Uh, buying whiskey for years, for the last 20 years. We have Irish cream business down in County Leash. Um, so when we launched our brands, we launched the Dubliner and the Dublin Liberties. Uh, we wanted to put br- brands into the market and we thought we needed a home, a distillery for our brands. And we're better than Dublin and we're better than the Liberties area of Dublin. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life, September 2014. John Teeling, I read somewhere recently that there's something like 115 distilleries uh, in Scotland making Scotch whisky, uh, which seems phenomenal compared to the small number that we have in Ireland at present. I know there are lots planned, but there's still only uh, really uh, a small number in Ireland. Why is that Scotch is so much bigger than Irish? For a very simple reason, uh, there we refused to accept the technology developed by Aeneas Coffee, as Daryl said there. We had about 60% of the world, of the whole world in, in 1830, because uh, whiskey, the word whiskey is, is a derivative of Ishka Baha Fwishka. That's where it came from. But we, we said you have to make whiskey 
in pot stills and you have to make it our way and and they refuse it. the big distillers at the time put out a book called the silent spirit said that grain whiskey had no taste or flavor now there's a lot of truth in that it's it's distilled to 94% but what happened is is the canny scots took the fairly harsh highland malt still is and blended it with this grain whiskey and made blended whiskey which was cheaper and easier on the palate and the irish refused to adapt and we fell unbelievably we fell from having 60% of all the world's to having 2% of Scotch sales by 1966. Uh, an amazing thing for an industry that uses Irish thyme, Irish water, Irish air and Irish grain. It, 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 that's where I came I, I came across it as a student and just could not believe that this had happened. So even if we double or triple uh, or quadruple from now, we're still not getting back to anywhere where we were. For instance, George Road Distillery, which you can see from the storehouse uh, gravity bar uh, looking towards the river, made 2 million gallons. Now, 2 million gallons is, is about 8 or 9 million cases. They made that in 1916. That was just one of the remaining distilleries that was left. And uh, we, we just declined into almost nothing. It's, it's an amazing story. Did Eamon de Valera have a role to play uh, with tariffs? I, I, I think that's very harsh. He gets blamed in all kinds of things. I'm not sure I can blame him for that. But what you did have was that in, in 1946, they put... A, an export restriction because they needed the domestic revenue from selling from selling whiskey domestically. Uh, they got excise, whereas if you exported it, you didn't get any excise duty. So the remaining markets, we were in trouble by that stage, but but that that destroyed the remaining markets that we had. But the damage was done from about 1860 probably to 1900, at which stage a couple of big uh, Scottish combines, basically the forerunner of United Distillers, appeared at that stage. Right. Okay. And in recent years, is the first say that Jemison, I mean, there's been huge investment behind the Jemison brand, particularly in the United States, and it's really taken off. Is it fair to say that everybody's been riding on Jemison's coattails uh, somewhat? Yes. Um, Jemison still, uh, Jemison Power and Paddy's probably still has 60-70% of the market. They've done a phenomenal job. Perno have done an absolutely wonderful job. I'd be the very first, I wish when I was in Cooley, that they were far weaker competition than they were. They were just very good. And uh, it's a very good product. That's what people want. And uh, and they continue to drink it. And it is going to be one of the top 20 alcohol brands in the world, I'd imagine, within a few years. Um, but there's plenty of room for the rest of us. And what's happening now, and, and I mean, Denise can talk to this, and certainly Daryl will, is as the market has grown, um, Jemison is kind of an entry-level whiskey for people. They want to experience different types of whiskies and different flavors. So, you know, in the marketing words, you have market segmentation and product differentiation and premiumization, those three things. And it means that if the market is, say, 10 million cases and 70% is Jemison, it leaves 3 million cases for the rest of us at this stage. And uh, I would, you know, which is plenty of room for the, uh, the, the, the 25 small distilleries that are being built at the moment. Um, and by 2024, there should be uh, even at 60 or 70 percent with, with Irish distillers, there'll be six or seven million cases available for others. So I think there's a big potential. We are certainly um, using uh, Jemison, which always pushed Jemison rather than Irish whiskey. But it doesn't matter. It was the taste and the flavor that got people. And, and we've continued to, to build on it. But they've done a very good job. Denise, tell us how uh, Bordby is supporting the Irish whiskey industry. Um, well, uh, first of all, the the larger companies such as Jemison, Beam Centauri, uh, William Grant really um, work with us in a strategic uh, role to try to plan forward for the new and up and coming distilleries like Teelings, for example. 
Um, we provide market information. Basically, um, we have 13 offices around the world. Clearly, we don't have a market in or uh, rather an office in every market, but every market is covered by one of our offices. Um, we run a lot of uh, buyer interaction events where we introduce the category directly to the buying community or the import and distribution community in the US. Um, we participate at trade fairs and exhibitions around the world. And for many of the smaller companies, it's not possible for them to take stands of their own. And so they'll participate on the board be a stand. Um, we have the Origin Green Sustainability Programme, which really must be mentioned. It is um, the only national sustainability charter in the world for any food and, and drink industry. And it is championing um, Irish suppliers as a sustainable source of food and drink worldwide. That's really very important to mention. Um, we carry out consumer research on a regular basis and the, all of our research reports are available to all of our uh, client companies. And we work directly with companies in developing brand um, brand stories and brand architecture, uh, which is absolutely key to survival in the whiskey world. Yeah. Daryl, uh, is the Dublin Whiskey Company hoping to ride on the coattails of Jemison? Um, absolutely. I think Jameson's done a wonderful uh, job in the Irish whiskey category and, and helps to grow it year in years. John were you Kitch. envious when you were working for Bushmills all, over all those years? Yeah, I was envious working. I worked for, for Jameson as well. So, um, you know, I like the brands and I like Bushmills brands. But, you know, it's time to design your own mm. distillery and, you know, create your own brands and innovation and cast types. And I think with Dublin Whiskey Company, you know, we touched on it earlier, it's small, but we have the brands in the markets already and now we need a home for our brands. We need you know, somewhere to put them, somewhere to make them and, um, you know, buy some nice casks in and create some really good whiskies, which can add and complement Jameson and Bushmills, the bigger the bigger players in the market. And it'll be predominantly for export, will it? Predominantly for export, yes. We, we export into the US, into Australia, uh, UK, Germany, um, you know, so some really good markets, yeah. Mm. And we, we have a great route to market, uh, Bourbea, uh, you know, in partnership with Board Bay, quintessential brands have been working on, on various things and, you know, internationally uh, shipping into about 110 different markets across all their different uh, 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 gins and whiskies and cream liqueurs. Yeah. John Teeling, it's not just about exports, is it? This is also a tourism story as well, isn't it? It's, it's about uh, visitors here and uh, telling them the story of Irish whiskey. And I know that the Irish Whiskey Association is, is saying that there's the potential to increase whiskey tourism from 600,000 visitors to 800,000 in the medium term. I wouldn't doubt for a minute. I, I, I have to admit, I did not see that uh, in Cooley. And we, we never opened Cooley to visitors, but we opened locks in Kilbegan and we were very slow to develop it. And um, so uh, I didn't see the potential of it. But now I, I realise, I see what Jack and Stephen have done in the Liberties with Teeling Whiskey Company. They're on, they're on target in, in their first full year, uh, say this calendar year, to do seventy five to 100,000 visitors. Wow. I, I think Jemison is full at about 350,000. So I, I think that could be conservative. But, and so what you have is you, you will have around the country, you will have a number of visitor centres with distilleries in them, which is not a bad thing at all if they do it right and, and have a, a, you know, a good experience 
experience for the visitors, then you will have something like Jack and Stevens uh, Teelings in, in, in Newmarket. You will have a distillery with a visitor centre attached, uh, and then the big ones, which we probably won't be li- like like Dundalk, where it's a big industrial complex and uh, where visitors wouldn't be wouldn't be that important. But with 25 of these going around in places in many beautiful parts of the country, uh, where visitors need uh, places to go, I, I, I think the potential is huge. And Denise said earlier again something I missed is that these people, if they take away a good uh, opinion of of the the centre of the distillery and of the products, they go they go away as brand ambassadors. Daryl, I presume tourism is going to be part of the mix at the Dublin Whiskey Company. Yeah, absolutely. We uh, we plan to design a, a visitor centre there as well. Um, so we want to bring people along. We want to introduce them to our brands, and we want to you know as visitors coming to Ireland to to experience something something special. Uh, and as well as that, as John said, compliment the brands that they taste when they, they come to the visitor centre. Uh, like Bush Mills is a good visitor centre as well. Um, and as John touched on it there... Uh, Tullamore Jew have opened one, Tull- of course. Tullamore Jew, Tullamore, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it can only complement the amount of visitors coming to Ireland. And indeed, what, two million visitors coming to Dublin a year? It's it's great. If you look at Scotland, people go to Scotland and they, they almost have a whiskey trail. So I think you know Ireland can capitalise on that and create a whiskey trail, which is great for Ireland and great for yeah. the brand. Denise, is Board B involved in the tourism side of it at all, or um, is that left to another agency? No, well, obviously it will it will be mostly the work of Fault Ireland. I think it's important too to recognise that obviously the biggest challenge facing any new distillery is that. Um, I call it the revenue desert between laying down the liquid and actually harvesting it. And there are obviously a number of ways that distilleries have to explore in terms of creating some revenue in that interim period. And a visitor centre is a very good way of doing that. So we would encourage it and we would help in any way we can. And um, indeed, we'll be working on a pilot project um, uh, in terms of starting a whiskey trail later in this year. Sure. John Teeling, I was down with Irish distillers in their Middleton uh, facility uh, some months back and it's a very fine uh, visitor centre that they have there to get a lot of Americans in um, and they end up buying, you know, whiskies and T-shirts and uh, whatnot. But one of the things the guys told me was that when the American visitors, some of them, when they get home, they realise they can actually buy the whiskey uh, in America for cheaper than they can in Ireland. And they write a letter of complaint to the guys in Ireland saying, you know, we feel we've been ripped off uh, somewhat. Now, a lot of that comes down to tax. Um, are we overtaxing whiskey in the Irish market? The answer to that is I don't know. Um, I, I'm sure that the Irish Spirits Associations will probably drum me out by saying we should, re- we should reduce the excise duty uh, on spirits. Um, I'm not so sure about that. I, I think um, that I think alcohol is expensive in Ireland. If they are worried about it, particularly Americans, let them buy it in the airport, and they can get it uh, free, of, free of price, like, uh, price uh, free of tax in that way. Not that many of these people can buy in in uh, the the visitor centres because they can't. If they have only hand luggage, they can't carry the products. So, as such in a way, you're hoping maybe you can sell them the miniatures and. I'll ask them to buy it at the, uh, the Dublin airport, for instance, where they have a wonderful whiskey shop now. You may have seen it. They've done a phenomenal job out there. Uh, and then go and buy it when they're at home. Um, the, uh, the price is what it is in Ireland. Alcohol is expensive, but relative to other countries, I mean, the, the U.S. can be particularly expensive in some of the states as well. So um, I don't think that's an argument for reducing excise duty in Ireland, that, that the American, the odd one might buy it. If you go to the Canaries, you buy it even cheaper or places like that. 
Uh, Daryl McNally, any any thoughts on that? I mean, you worked for uh, Bushmills. Was it a concern that we were, you know, overtaxing the product in our own market? Um, I suppose, yes, it, it could be a concern, but I think when people come along and, and they get a visitor's, uh, you know, a visit around the, the site, they can buy their whiskey. It's, it's introducing them to your brands so that they can go to their own countries then and buy the brands there. You know, you want to try and create um, some retail therapy as well when they come shopping, but um, it's, a, it's a difficult one to answer that. But I know the Irish Whiskey Association, the Irish Spirits mm-hmm. Association, in order to grow Irish whiskey, uh, it would be good if the duty could be reduced slightly to, to try and... Uh, be competitive to say the the, Scot, the Scotland trails. John Tilling, we've had a great run with Irish whiskey over the past 10, 12 years, uh, but is there a danger that we might um, simply fall out of fashion with young drinkers, that they might move on to something else, whether it's rum or gin or vodka or whatever it might be? Um, yes, there's always a danger that, that, that people are fickle. Uh, let me give you the opposite view of it, that what people tend to, to drink in their 20s and their 30s, they stick with as they go on. So from that viewpoint, I, I think the fundamentals of Irish whiskey are phenomenal. The second thing that's happening is, is no, there is no doubt that the products that the young Americans started to drink in the 1990s or the early 2000s are not the products they're drinking now. They've moved on. But the, the task of, of the Irish whiskey industry, which I think is being well done, is to provide a ladder for these people. They come in and they, and they might take a, a, an entry-level whiskey and they want to move on to better flavours, better tastes, different expressions of it. And you see that now in, in, in the distilleries. You see, you see the Teeling Whiskey Company only has premium products. You see the Jemison now has the 1780 and they have their um, uh, red breast. And uh, I, I, I think we are well prepared for this to move on. There, there's no doubt that there is an, a worldwide trend back towards... Um, uh, spirits. It's, it's an amazing situation because you see a bourbon is still on fire. Cognac in the States is going very well. Rums are going very well in, in, in places. Uh, so I, I think we could be facing um, in the Western world 25 years of this and then we, we still have the Far East to, to go to. So uh, I, I would be very bullish as you gather. Yeah, <laughs> Denise, is there a madman effect in all of this? Because Don Draper seems to spend half his day drinking brown whiskey. He's a madman. Be very careful now, Karen. We can't get money out of this, people. <laughs> he certainly hasn't done any harm to the Irish whiskey industry. Um, the uh, the popularity of Irish whiskey and even even the incidental mention of Irish whiskey in shows like Blue Bloods and Boardwalk Empire and, and Madman has been. Uh, has been really instrumental in driving sales in the US anyway. Um, no, I do believe that there there are a lot of strengths within the Irish whiskey category. Um, I do think that as long as they continue to innovate, as long as they continue to address those changing tastes in the consumer, that there is a very long and healthy future ahead. Daryl, I was reading recently, I'm no expert on this, but I was reading recently that the legislation around Scotch whisky is much tighter than it is in Ireland. The definitions, the quality uh, and so forth, and that this perhaps is something we need to look at and address. Would would you go along with that? Is that correct, first of all? Yeah, well, first of all, I think in any business that you go into, you want to make the product the best you can. You know, so quality has to be first and foremost. So, um, you know, to create perfect spirit, perfect cask, quality cask, quality finished casks. You know, what you want to do is to give the consumer the best possible product there. So any distillery that I'll be associated with will be pretty strict on on quality first and foremost. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. But John Teeling, does the government need to do more, uh, do you think, in, around the legislation, around the quality of the product that's produced? Do we need to be a bit stricter, a bit tighter, or is it fine as it is? 
Um, just on that, I, I spent four years um, uh, with various distillers and uh, Tullamore Dew on the, what's called the technical file, which is the legal definition of Irish whiskey, which has gone to the EU, and this will update the 1981 Irish Whiskey Act. It's very tight. In fact, if anything, I would have preferred it maybe to be a bit looser. So um, we have three categories, as Daryl said. We have... We have uh, Single malt, we have pot still, which is which they don't have in Scotland, and we have blended whiskey. But the the definitions are as tight as as in Scotch. I I don't know where it differs, and um, let there be no doubt about it. Uh, if if we make uh, poor quality whiskey, um, people might buy it once, but they won't buy it a second time. So, but in terms of the legalities, the, the technical file that has gone to Europe in February of last year, I think two thousand and fifteen, and will become a directive. Um, is as tight as scotch. Denise Murphy, I want you to project out 10 years. Uh, where do you think Irish whiskey will be? I think it'll continue to grow. I think um, the US may uh, reduce in significance in terms of an export target. Um, there will be other markets and we have to continuously look ahead um, while we're servicing the, the strong markets as we speak. Um, we do need to look forward, but uh, I think that the projections of 24 million cases by 2030 is very is very realistic. Okay, Daryl. Yeah, no, I think it's it's a great time for Irish whiskey. Um, as John touched on earlier, there was 12 million cases sold before prohibition. You know, which is almost double where we were at in 2014. You know, so I don't think it's unrealistic that uh, those numbers will will become reality. And I think the small distilleries opening up and creating different brands, that just complements the whole story and uh, really puts Ireland in the map again where it should be. And John Teeling, in 10 years' time, do you think all of these new independent distilleries that are about to come on stream or, or that are in the pipeline, do you think they will still be independently owned or do you think they'll be part of these big multinational spirits groups? Well, in any business that's growing like this, um, all 30, 25 or 30 distilleries will not survive. I mean, clearly that's, uh, that's how, how the world is in general. Uh, I think the very small ones, uh, some of them will find the problem that we in Cooley had for 20 years, which was route to market, and then once, if you're lucky enough to get it on the shelves, rotation from the shelves. So there, are, there is scope for partnerships, uh, the likes of, of, of Brown Foreman in, in, with Slane, the likes of uh, Disarono, uh, you know, Tia Maria in, in Walsh Whiskey. Um, so I, I think you may very well see a lot of marketing arrangements, but there will be a fallout. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Denise uh, commented on the fact that you have no revenue in Irish Whiskey for four or five years um, once you lay it down, and it is expensive. Uh, wood as well as, as as liquid can take a lot of, of money. You mentioned that Dundalk is 10 million. 10 million was to build what we did. We're putting about 10 million a year into inventory. So before we have new whiskey to sell, a new spirit to sell us whiskey, we could have 30, 35 million invested. So it's, it is an expensive game and some people will not be able to do it. So there'll be consolidation and there will be investment by others. But uh, all of this is good. That's natural. Okay, that's it for this week from the Irish Times Business Podcast. My thanks to John Teeling, Daryl McNally and Denise Murphy. John Casey produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today, email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.